Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen to this message, it helps you grow closer to God and inspires you to live like Jesus. Thanks for listening. Here's the message. We're going to continue our worship series uh, today that we've been in for, I think this is the fourth week, uh, called Kingdom Worship. How many's been enjoying this series so far? Anybody? It's been good. It's been good, and I'm excited about what the Spirit wants to say today. You can grab your Bibles if you got it, or your device, or however you want to, uh, to look up Scriptures, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and uh, we're going to look at a pretty familiar story here, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got magical Bibles in the sky for your viewing pleasure, so just uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Um, we also want to encourage note-taking today. Um, we just believe in the simplicity of taking notes, that it's actually in the simplicity of it. It's powerful in that it always goes deeper when we write it down. Write something down today. Grab a pen. It takes two seconds to write something down, but it might be, there, there, it might be the magic key that unlocks something God wants to do in your life. The most power, I tell our students all the time, the most powerful thing you can do. The most powerful tools in your, in your arsenal might be a pen and a piece of paper. And so uh, we want to encourage note-taking. All right, Luke chapter 10. Here we go. Uh, Mary of Bethany. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down. Everybody say, Mary sat down. She sat down attentively before the master, and she absorbed every revelation that he shared. Wow. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? If there ever was an accurate diagnosis for the year 2022, upset, troubled, and pulled away by all of these distractions, Martha was distracted. Are they really that important? Verse 42, Mary has discovered, what's those next two beautiful words? Audience participation, okay, it's just, it's fill in the blank. Let's try that again. Mary has discovered the? The one thing most important by choosing. She made a choice to sit at my feet. She is undistracted. And this privilege won't be taken from her. What she just did will live on into eternity. It won't be taken from her. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray real quick because we need the Holy Spirit here in a major way. Otherwise, everything we do is dead in the water. God, we, we just pause and take a deep breath and we ask you to come. We need your spirit now to breathe on these moments God, we want to leave the the house of God with more than information. God, we want to encounter Jesus. Breathe on us now. Come, help us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. 
Well, show of hands, where's the parents at in the house? Come on, parents, where are you at? Beautiful, beautiful. So all the parents could probably relate to this one. Um, you ever had your kid come up to, them, to you at some point and kind of like tell you what they wanted to be when they grow, grow up? Any parents ever had their kids do that? Oh, yeah, right? Can be a really encouraging moment as a parent, right? Can be very encouraging. So this was probably four summers ago, something like that. I had the opportunity to take our two older sons to their first Cardinals game, St. Louis, right? Gonna have a guy's trip, gonna be a great time, spitting sunflower seeds, bonding with the boys, okay? So I had an extra ticket, uh, and I decided that I'm gonna invite Pastor Mark to go with us, okay? So if you don't know who that is, he's our, now our campus pastor in Marshfield. But back then, he was our youth pastor here at Republic. Mark, if you don't know him, he's one of these giant teddy bear kind of guys, right? We all know somebody like that. The boys fall instantly in love with him. Like 15 minutes in, they're calling him Uncle Mark, right? And I'm thinking like he's their youth pastor. This is a good move. I made a good choice by bringing him until we get like halfway to St. Louis and Mark leans back in his chair and he references my boys and he says, hey, you boys like rap music? (laughs) because I just so happened to do a little rapping myself. As he puts on a track and he proceeds to start dropping bars. The boys instantly go from loving Uncle Mark to idolizing DJ Gritty. They were starstruck, right? It was, it was funny. So, you know, go to the game, blah, blah, blah. Get back home later that night, and uh, like I do often before I put my kids to bed, I, Go around, crawl into bed with them, you know, each individual, couple minutes, give them a couple minutes, pray for them, say goodnight. Uh, and so I go to lay down in Elijah's bed, he's our oldest son, now he's 16, back then he was whatever, young. As soon as I lay down, Elijah goes, hey dad, I know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and I'm a little bit excited, right? I'm thinking like the Lord has spoken to my son, he seems really confident about this, Right? God must have spoken to him. I'm thinking he's going to come back with president or pastor or anything. Nothing like that. Dad, I know what I want to be when I grow up. How many knows what Elijah wants to be when he grows up? I want to be a rapper just like Uncle Mark. And I didn't say this, but in my mind I'm thinking, no! Anything but a rapper, son. You are as white as they come. Not even skin color. It's all the way through. It's deep. He's got no rhythm. Right? I didn't say that. As a matter of fact, I didn't say anything. It was just one of those frozen blank dad stares. You know what I'm talking about? But I did realize something pretty profound that day. And, uh, and the lesson was this. That fascination leads to transformation. Right, Elijah got struck with something that day on the car ride to St. Louis, and it moved him to want to become what he beheld. Right, Dad, I want to be a rapper when I grow up. How many knows that God did not send his only begotten son to make us a better person? God did not become a man to improve our lives. God came to make us like him. Now, not in the sense of deity, but he came to make us like him in nature and character, right? In other words, we're not called to behave like God. We're called to become like God. 
We're called to become like him. Contrary to popular belief, the core issue of our walk with God is not will I make it to heaven, okay? But rather, will we become like him? It's the primary issue, right? Mark, Mark didn't teach Elijah how to become a rapper that day. He didn't break out a PowerPoint and teach him the 10 easy steps to becoming the next Eminem. Now, he showed him what it looked like, and Elijah, and as Elijah beheld, he wanted to become, right? Look at how the Apostle Paul words this, this thought. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's read it slow. We all, with unveiled face, what's that next word? Beholding. Beholding. What? The glory of the Lord And as we do that, what happens? We're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So, you know, we're in the middle of this series on worship, and I I just felt strongly today that I was supposed to deposit... um, a recentering kind of message right into the middle of this series. Is, is that okay? And, uh, and just call us as a community back to simple. Back to simple. Back to the beautiful foundation. Back to the chief cornerstone. It's the simple gospel that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the pioneer pioneer of our faith because if we lose the beautiful simplicity of beholding the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus as the primary thing, as the supreme pleasure and the glorious centerpiece of our worship and our faith journey, all we have left after that are techniques and theories, and those things are devoid of transformation. All we have left are principles, programs, and pro tips without the divine presence. True worship begins with beholding. It begins with beholding. Like we can sing all of the the greatest songs that we want to sing. I'm talking you can hit Passion. You can hit Bethel. You can hit Maverick City. I mean, you you can hit them all. You can hit them all. We can, even have, we can have the most polished band, the, the, the flawless performance. We can, ha- we can nail progressions, builds. We can nail transitions. We could fill this room with more smoke and lights than a Taylor Swift concert. But if we didn't behold God, if we didn't make eye contact with him, if the eyes of our hearts weren't flooded with beautiful light, we might have gotten excited We might have sang along. We might have got more information. We might even have been moved emotionally. But there is only one road in the kingdom that leads to transformation, and that's through beholding the beauty of the one who dwells in unapproachable light. His name is Jesus. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the Lamb of God in the midst of the throne, and in his right hand are seven stars, and out of his mouth goes forth a sharp two-edged sword, and his face is shining as bright as the sun. 
Did we just sing songs today? Or did you make eye contact? Because that's the real question. Because worship cannot start until the heart looks at Jesus. It can't. He's the main attraction. He's the primary appeal. He is the treasure. This is the legacy of a woman in the New Testament. Her name's Mary of Bethany. We only see her mentioned three times in the Bible. In all of Scripture, we see her three times. And it's important to note that in all three of those instances, we find her in the same place, and that's at the feet of Jesus. Right? Somehow, Mary had gone on a grand expedition into the divine, and she had unearthed the treasure of the one thing that mattered most to Jesus. It was the most important thing. She discovered what moved God's heart the most, and when she discovered that, she said, I'm going to give my life to that. It's where I'm going to build my life. It's where I set up camp. There's, it's what I'm going to pour myself out for. There is no greater calling in this age than that. So, you know, I think it's important for us to look into Mary's life through the lens of worship and uh, pull a couple things out of her journey that I think really will help us on our journey. It really makes things a little bit more simple. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha. She had a sister named Mary. And Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. Mary sat down. She sat down because we simply cannot hurry our way into the holy. And I'm not bashing church, but we... We've made this thing more accessible than it ever has been before, and I'm not against that, as long as it doesn't push us to try and hurry into the holy, because it does not work. I don't know if you're like me, you know, but in my pursuit after God, you know, and in, in my worship to God, it can very easily become a frenetic extension of the manic way in which I live too much of my life and I'm distracted, and I'm driven, how often do I approach God with an agenda that is other than God? How often, right, do I approach God with a transactional posture more than a relational one, right? I mean, it's worth honest consideration for all of us. Like, what is the actual appeal? Think about it. What's the actual appeal to, to your Christianity, to our Christianity? What's the actual appeal? Is it the person of God himself, or is it like more what God can do for you? Is it the beauty of God, or is it the benefits of God that are preeminent? It's worth consideration, right? Because when worship becomes an experience, we call it a worship experience. I don't even really like that. Because when worship becomes an experience to medicate our emotions or to soothe our anxieties 
or to make us feel better about ourselves, it's no longer worship. That's called musical therapy, right? True worship, guess what? It will lead you to delight in God, not in yourself. God, forgive us, you know? Forgive me. This is actually what makes the gospel such good news. It's more about God than it's about us, right? And what I'm afraid I'm guilty of in some measure is making the focus of my walk with God about me rather than God, right? And herein lies the the tragedy, the, the great tragedy, right, that has many people stuck in this perpetual state of spiritual boredom. We think way too much about ourselves and not enough about Jesus, right? But something amazing begins to happen when we stop looking at ourselves and we start looking at him. We begin to become more like him because we always become like what we behold the most. There has to be a fundamental shift in me, in many of us. There has to be and a good place to begin is by slowing our pace and lifting our eyes to meet his gaze. Worship has to begin with the appropriate awareness of the one to whom we are coming to. Where we get our eyes off of what we want. Where we get our eyes off of our own agendas, our own timelines, and we get our eyes on him and what he wants and his timeline. And his agenda, which are very often not the same. Mary sat down. I love how one writer put it. True worship, it's, it's stargazing rather than astronomy. In other words, it's more explore than it is implore. Mary sat down, and she got lost in Jesus. (laughs) She got lost in Jesus in a room that was buzzing with religious activity. They were playing the best worship songs that day. I mean, the, the smoke and the lights were just, they weren't flickering at all. The worship team fixed them. I mean, it was buzzing. It was, it was, it was a sight to behold. The religious complexity amidst all of the nervous activity, Mary understood that the way forward in God is to pause. She understood that true worship starts by stopping. Could it be that our way forward in worship is to stop worshiping? (laughs) To come out of the anxious activity that so easily pulls us away and become present, fully present in place and time so that our scattered senses can recenter on God's eternal presence. Mary sat down and she just enjoyed God. She just enjoyed him. You, you, re, you know something that uh, the Bible repeatedly commands us to take delight in God? Right? It's actually one of the most repeated commands in all of, the, all of the Bible. To delight in God. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37. This is not optional. It's actually central. 
right? God doesn't simply just want us to submit to him. He commands us to delight in him and enjoy him. This is essential to the Christian message. It's not behave, it's behold. And the reason why we're so bored is we're trying to behave, but we're bored because we haven't beheld. It's not do for, it's be with. It's stop talking at God, stop singing about God, and stop doing for God long enough to focus on the wonder, the beauty, the glory, the power, and the majesty of who he is. Mary sat down because you cannot hurry your way into the holy. Can't do it. God moves on his own timeline. This is the life, this is actually the life that God calls great. He calls this life great. Look at, look at how Jesus said it. Matthew 22, verse 37. He said it like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Verse 38, underline this in your Bible. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's first priority, and it's what God calls great in his valuation of our lives. You ever wondered what Jesus would preach if he had one more message to give on earth? Look no further. It is without a doubt Matthew 24. I know that because this is the last public message he gave during his time on the earth. This is significant. This is parting words to the public. So, you know, everybody in the Jewish audience that day, they were uber familiar with these words that Jesus just quoted. Okay, it's called the Shema Israel. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This was the very first scripture that would have been taught to a Jew beginning as a child. Okay? So from the time of childhood and all the way throughout the remainder of a Jew's life until death, they would recite these words three times a day. Okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. Three times a day. They knew these words. So Jesus, he's not giving them any groundbreaking revelation here. But then he drops a dirty bomb in verse 38. Up until this point, they had never heard this idea. Never been uttered. Okay? But on Jesus' final public message that he would give before he went to the cross, he added a closing statement to these familiar verses with seven profound words. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And with those few revolutionary words, God summarizes the human race's mission statement. You want to know what your mission statement is? There it is. Jesus levels the playing field, right? He gives the most reliable definition of what God calls great, what God esteems as great. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Are you guys following me today? This is our first priority. Our primary role. Which means it is not church attendance. It's not, 
your greatest calling is not to tend to orphans, widows, and the poor. It's not missions and outreach. It's not even to preach the gospel, although all of those things obviously are important and needed. But our first priority and our greatest pleasure as Christians is loving the man, Christ Jesus. This is our primary calling. It's what we pour the best of ourselves out for. It's, it's really, it's so merciful of God to give us clarity about what he calls great, right? We, there's no guessing needed. This is what we spend the best of our lives on. And any activity that we do for God that is not born out of this sacred, beautiful place of pursuit after Jesus himself is less than what God has called us to. This is the first and the greatest commandment. God does not regard how big your outward achievements are in his valuation of your life. He levels the playing field. <laughs> right? This life is not primarily about the size of your ministry. Right? But rather the size of your heart response before the Lord. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So I think it's important we all should ask ourselves this question a lot. Is the primary dream of my life the first commandment? Is the primary dream of our lives the first commandment? Or are we, are we reaching for this one thing more than anything? Right? Or have we busied ourselves like Martha with lesser pursuits? Do we invest the best parts of our strength, energy, and time doing what God esteems as great? Wow. Right? God defines success. He defines impact differently than we do. God defines us by our heart cry, not the size of our footprint. For God does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. Mary pulled up a seat. Martha was pulled away. So, you know, many of you guys probably know. If you don't, I'll share it with you. Uh, this past, March of this year, uh, pastor Chad, our lead pastor, and then Dolph Woodman, one of our faithful uh, friends, and myself, we took a missions trip to, uh, to Bulawayu, Africa. Incredible trip. Man, super, super fun. We laughed a ton. We saw super fruitful ministry. Uh, and we topped the trip off uh, with a visit to the Bulawayu Zoo, okay? So we had a few hours to kill on our last day before we had to make it to the airport, Yada, yada. And uh, so our host, uh, Pastor Dixon, which many of you guys know, he's been here before, he took us to the zoo. You guys want to go to the zoo? And I'm thinking like, you know, Dickerson Park Zoo, right? <laughs> A nice, safe, family-friendly, you know, non-life-threatening experience. <laughs> Top off a great week at the, uh, you know, of ministry in Africa. Let's go, sure. Uh, but what we pulled into... Well, it's nothing like the Dickerson Park Zoo. It was more like chicken wire, 
rusty staples attached to termite-eaten fence posts. And that's being nice. There was no stay behind the line. There was no please don't hit the glass. There was no do not touch. There was none of that. Okay? There were monkeys swiping for your keys as you walked by their cages. There was random, there's no lie, there was random, we walked in and there's random dogs just running around the park, you know, and they're just, they're, the baboons are going crazy and the do- dogs are instigating the baboons. It's nuts. And then to top it all off, well, will this happen? Go ahead and show that video. Jump, jump. Chicken wire. They don't do this at the Dickerson Park Zoo. Yeah, he is. There's Dolph about to die. There he goes. Hey. Help, help. <laughs> that was Dolph. <laughs> We're literally one foot from this. He's a big boy. Yeah, he's a big boy. Yeah. Hey, I don't have to be faster than a lion. I just have to be faster than Dolph. You know? Got that covered. Yeah. I read this on the internet, so you know it's got to be true. So, uh, Most lion tamers, uh, they use two tools to tame a lion. They got a whip and a... And a stool. Anybody ever seen the pictures or whatever, right? They have a whip and they have a stool when they go to tame a lion. A whip and a stool. And, uh, and if I were to guess, I don't know if you're like me, like which one of those two tools do I want more if I'm in front of that guy, okay? And immediately I'm thinking, I'm ditching the stool and I'm going with the whip, right? Are you like me? I'm going with the whip. But that's actually not the case, Again, I read this on the internet, so if it's wrong, don't at me, okay? The lion tamer would actually prefer the stool over the whip, right? A lion, I mean, you just saw it, could overpower, without blinking, overpower a human, maul them, and kill them. I mean, without, without blinking. However, it's only easy for the lion to do uh, as long as it has a singular focus, as long as it has an, a, a singular, his eyes on one thing, right? So the lion tamer uses the stool as a method, right, of distraction. He uses the stool as a measure of distraction because the lion, when it's faced with these four legs, uh, it tries to focus on the four legs all at once. And when the lion can't focus on one thing, it freezes when it doesn't have a singular focus, it can't do anything. It's just dead in the water. All it took was a stool. <laughs> just took a stool. Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset, troubled, pulled away, and distracted? by all of these other things. Mary, she chose the most important thing. She chose the one thing. 
as needed. She chose one thing. If we go after one thing, we get everything. But if we go after everything, we get nothing. <laughs> it's the lion in the stool. It's the lion in the stool. There may not be anything more deceptive in the Christian experience than the subtle removal of the one thing. <laughs> we have more information, we have more resources, we have more music, we have more counseling, we have more classes, we have more access than any other generation in all of history. All of which are good things in and of themselves unless they become the subtle thing that keeps us from the one thing. You see, we don't do less things just for the sake of doing less things, beloved. We do less things so we can do more of the one thing that matters. He is beautiful. God would not tell us that to do one thing if he didn't know that that one thing is enough to captivate our hearts. He's enough. He's the beautiful centerpiece. As Elliot comes, and we'll just close with the verse here. And just kind of see what happens by way of ministry at the end here. But if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2. This is, this is kind of how Jesus sort of summarizes this whole idea as he speaks to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. And I think this is pretty, pretty important. Again, and I, if this message has come across as condemnation, there is no condemnation in Christ and not in my heart. You know, this is pointed right at me and it's just a recentering that we will never stop doing until the age to come. Revelation 2, verse 2. I know, Jesus says, I know all that you have done for me. <laughs> I saw the money you gave, the time you gave. I saw it. I saw it all. I saw your attendance. You were there every week. I saw it all, everything you've done for me. You've worked hard. You've persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and you proved that they are not. This church was so apostolic that they could look at somebody who claimed to be apostles and say that's a counterfeit. Wow. Verse three. I know how you've bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name. Yet, you have not become discouraged. But, and this isn't, I used to read this with Jesus as a disappointed, mad, upset. I think there's just so much compassion in his heart in these statements. But I do have something against you. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. 
repent and do the first works of love. Mary chose the one thing. If you don't, Jesus said, I want you to. I'm willing you to. I'm calling you out. But if you don't do this, if you don't repent, if you don't get back to the one thing, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. You know, like talk about an impressive portfolio. To the average eye, the church of Ephesus is killing it. Right? They're getting it done. Like they're checking all the right boxes. This is a successful church, except it's not. It's not, not according to the valuation of the one that matters. I have this one thing against you that you've abandoned the most important thing. You've lost sight of it. You let it go. Repent. Get back to it. Get back to the simple gospel. Get back to the glorious centerpiece. Get back. The church of Ephesus, man, it was a busy church. Crazy schedule. They were accomplishing a lot in the name of God. Their monthly ministry calendar was jam-packed. But according to Jesus, they might have had a full ministry schedule, but they had an empty heart response. They abandoned their first works of love. They were doing all the right things for God, but somewhere along the way, they stopped making eye contact with him. He was no longer the main attraction. And I don't know if you're like me, I just want him to take his place in the center again. I guess the big point today is just a call for us to make sure that Jesus is still the main attraction. Is he still the primary appeal? To get back to the beauty of the Lamb in the midst of the throne. He's the one in whom all things will be brought together in the fullness of time, things in heaven and things in the earth. He's the first and the last. He's the one who died and came to life, seated at the right hand of majesty on high. He's the man, Christ Jesus. There is a man seated in heaven. And he is the main attraction. When was the last time that you got caught up in the storm of divine beauty? When was the last time you got lost in the oceans that are God? I know we read our Bibles. I know our Spotify is loaded with the latest worship songs. I know. Right? I know you never miss church. But is our heart fascinated with the person of Jesus himself?
Are you gloriously obsessed with him? Or has it just become the routine? God's calling us higher. He's calling us out of anxiety, out of activity, out of distractions and boredoms, out of a divided heart. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Destiny Church, how to get connected, or give online, visit destinychurch.me. Have a great week.